Welcome. My name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview, and it's so great to have you with us as we worship the Lord together. I just want to read some scripture to us as we begin our time. Psalm 66, verses 1 and 2 says, Shouts for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. As we gather here this morning and we sing the scriptures, Command us, they compel us to see how great and amazing our God is. And then sing loudly, praising his name. So I want to pray over us and let us get at it in doing just that very thing. Lord God, just thank you. 
Thank you, God, for your glory, your might, your power, your majesty. I pray, God, here this morning that we would see you, Lord God, for who you are and, and worship you, God, for how you are worthy. I pray, God, this scripture over us. I pray, God, that we would shout for joy to you, God. I pray, God, that we would sing the glory of your name, that we would give you glorious praise. Empower us today as we do this. Fill us, Lord God, with your Holy Spirit as we praise you. We love you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand together, guys. Let's worship the Lord. Yes, good morning, church. Let's praise the Lord for He is worthy. The God of our salvation. Jesus the Christ. Let's sing. God
Roberts. Yes. You may be seated. It's only for a moment you were mine to hold The plans that heaven has for you will all too soon unfold So many different prayers I'll pray for all that you might do But most of all I want to know you're walking in the truth and if I never told you, I want you to know That as I watch you grow I pray that God would fill your heart with dreams And that faith gives you
As I was stepping up, my wife leaned over to me and said, that's not even my kid, and I want to cry. So, um, if you are one of our graduates and you're in the room, can I ask you to do me a favor and stand? I'm not going to make you come up front or anything weird, but could you just stand for me? Good. All over the place. Give him a hand. Keep standing. Keep standing. I want to take just a minute and pray over you guys, and we'll do the same thing in the second service as well for our graduates who are there. Um, But I want to take just a minute just to pray over you, praise God for you, pray God's blessings on you as you move on to the next phase and stage of life. So if we just uh, bow our heads just for a moment, and uh, if you were around one of these graduates, if you just want to kind of gather around them a little bit, you could, just to kind of reach out and, and, and touch them and gather around for a second. Let's just take just a minute and pray for these, these folk and, and praise God for their accomplishments. And so Lord, we just do thank you. We praise you, God, that you are just so amazing and glorious um, in uh, seeing uh, Lord, these these wonderful folk, uh, God, in 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 walking through this next phase of life and what they've been able to accomplish and do. Um, and I know, God, there's it's it's brought ups and downs and peaks and valleys, and there have been uh, difficult times and seasons in all of this, God. But you have brought them through all of this and just does such an amazing work in their life. I praise you, God, for that. So we pray for them now as they move on to the next stage of life, whatever that might be. We pray, God, just your hand upon them, God, that as they go out, they go out as your servant, 
that might be for more school or for a career or something else. But God, whatever that is, I pray, God, they're not going out just to do that, but they're going out as your servant to bring glory and honor to you. And in the process of that, they're going to do these other things. But I pray, God, that you are their central focus. You are the main reason that they exist and why they get up in the morning, to glorify and honor and bless and live for you. I pray, God, for them. I ask you, Lord God, that you would bless them and that you would keep them. We ask you, God, that you would make your face to shine upon them, when that you would be gracious to them. We pray, God, that you would lift up your face upon them and that you would give them your peace. I pray, God, your blessings on them. Thank you for them. We love them. We cannot wait to see what next great things you have for them in life. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, give them one more hand, guys. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. All right. All right. Hey, uh, if you have a Bible, let's find Exodus together, all right? Um, go ahead and find Exodus chapter 19. That's where we'll spend a little bit of time here in just a moment. Um, but we're, uh, we're working through a series we're calling The Story. And the idea behind the series is we want to take a few weeks uh, to go through the big story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, the, the, the big truth that's driving all of this is the Bible is not just a roadmap for your life. The Bible is a neon sign that points to Jesus, and as you trust by faith in Him, He changes your life. And we're, and we're going at that every single week because it's extremely important that we understand that um, we oftentimes come to the Bible as if it's just some, a collection of moral teachings or some good ideas for life, or we treat it sort of like a, a spiritual medicine cabinet where I've got a, a, a faith issue, so let me find a verse about faith. I've got a peace issue, let me find a verse about peace. I'm trying to find my next step after graduation, so let me go find a verse that will speak to that. So we kind of use it like a medicine cabinet going to get the thing that we need. And, and yes, the Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And yes, the Bible does give clear wisdom and direction for these things. But the only way that those can really make sense and really be applied to our lives is if we understand how it fits into the great grand overarching story of the Bible. And so as we walk through that, we've seen the last few weeks that the big idea of the Bible is God, right? He is the central focus. He is the central figure. He stands alone in glory and honor and power and majesty. And, and then as an overflow of that, God created. He created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created to love him and serve him and be with him forever, but they rebelled against him. Right? And as a result of that, all of humanity fell into sin. Then God's good creation was marred by sin and rebellion. And now we still live in that, but God has a plan. Right? We saw that God's plan is that he's going to send a son. And that son is going to set us free from the curse and set us free from our sin. And so we see, uh, we've seen the last few weeks how that story is starting to play out. Right? God picked Abraham and told Abraham, I'm going to give you and your wife Sarah a child. And he did. His name was Isaac. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob and Jacob had a son named Joseph, and through all of these men and their families, the people of God began to grow and grow and grow, and God was doing it. God was blessing. God was creating a people. And these people ended up in Egypt, in slavery for 400 years, 
And God miraculously delivered them out of that slavery. And as they're delivered out of that slavery, if you know the story, so they're, they're going out of slavery, and they come up on the Red Sea, right? And so they get the Red Sea in front of them, and then Egypt, uh, Pharaoh and his army behind them, and they realize, no, 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 we've got to go back and get the Israelites. We've got to keep them in slavery. So they come after the Israelites, they have the Red Sea in front of them, and the Egyptian army behind them. And then we see that God does something amazing, and I'll read it for you, Exodus chapter 14. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And then as they go through, the Egyptian army tries to come in after them, and God closes it up, right? Collapses all the water down and drowns the Egyptian army, saving the people of God. And what you see in all of this, when that happens, if you were to keep reading in Exodus uh, chapter 14, the people of God see all this, right? God miraculously delivering them to the Red Sea and then drowning the entire Egyptian army after them. And they break out praising God, obviously. Right? They're like, God is amazing. Right? He's doing miraculous things unbelievable unspeakable things and so he brings them through that delivers them saves them and now the next chapter in the story he's brought his people out of slavery and he's miraculously saved them from the egyptian army and now he's bringing them to a place called mount sinai so it's interesting mount sinai is where moses was when god spoke to him in the burning bush and god told him in the burning bush i'm going to bring you and the people of god back to this place and when i bring you back to this place i'm going to speak to you some very important clear things and that's what happened god brings the people of God bout to Mount Sinai, calls Moses to the top of the mountain because he's about to do something special. God is going to lay out now what a relationship between he and his people are going to look like. Okay? He's going to lay out, here's what this looks like, and here's what this means, and here's how it goes about. Now, oftentimes, here's what happens. As you're reading your Bible, you get to the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and you stop reading. Because you get to a lot of laws and rules and regulations and sacrifices and what does this mean and how does this impact my life and how does this really relate. And I mean, we don't really care if a guy trims the edges of his beard. I mean, we're not on Duck Dynasty. I don't care. Right? I mean, I can't eat bacon-wrapped shrimp evidently anymore. Like, I don't know what's happening right now. So it feels strange, and so we skip over that. But what I want to show you today is this. There's an important part of the story. We cannot skip over this point. The books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, as they're giving out the laws and the regulations and the ceremonies and the sacrifices, here's why that's important. You ready? God determines what your relationship with him looks like. The whole point of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy is this. God is the one that gets to tell you how to live your life. He gets to make that call. He gets to look at his people and say, you will do this and you will not do that. And when you break that rule, you will then make it right by doing this. He has that right. These first five books of the Bible are very important because it's setting out the understanding of God picks his people and then God gets the right to tell his people how they will and will not live. 
gets his rights. He's God, you're not. See how it connects? Now, our relationship with God is different, right? We don't obey the ceremonial laws or the dietary laws. Again, man, eat a steak wrapped in bacon with shrimp stuffed in the middle of it. It's great. And eat it raw. So our relationship with him looks different. But the big idea is still the same. God determines what your relationship with him looks like. The reason many of you think, listen, this is very, very important. This is how it all connects. This is how you fit into the story. You ready? Many of you think you've tried Christianity and it didn't work. And I say the word think because here's why. You actually came to God on your own terms, in your own strength, with your own mind made up of what it will and will not mean for you. And then you get frustrated when it didn't work out. And the reason it didn't work out is because that's not the way this thing goes. You don't get to tell God what your relationship with him will look like. He tells you. You want a relationship with me? Here's what that means. You want to walk with me? Here's what that means. And this is what Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are setting up with God's people here. This is what a relationship with me will look like. You want that? Do this. Okay? It's extremely important seeing how that connects with us. But what I want us to see, Exodus chapter 19, just we're going to read verses 4 through 6, okay? Exodus 19, 4 through 6. And I want us to see how God sets this up. Okay? What's the mindset behind this with God? What's he doing? Why is he doing it? How is he setting all this up? Okay? We're going to get into the rules here in a moment. But what I want you to see is how God sets it up before he gets into the rules. He hasn't set up any of the rules yet. The Ten Commandments don't come till Exodus chapter 20. We haven't gotten there yet. We haven't had a single thou shalt not yet. Okay? What I want you to see is what he says first in Exodus 19 before he gets to the rules. Okay? So Exodus 19, 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen, this is God talking to Moses, through Moses to the Israelites. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptian and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you out to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom and priests and a holy nation. Of, uh, excuse me, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So, real quick, I want to show you three things, all right? Three things that set the stage, and then we'll jump into the rules part, okay? I want you to notice three things about God and his relationship with the people. First, they were a people who were rescued by God. All right, look at verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. As God is defining Israel and defining his relationship with Israel, the first thing he does is remind them, don't forget, you are slaves, and I'm the one who set you free. Does that make sense? 
Step one is this. Having a clear understanding where you were and what you would still be if it was not for me. You are a slave and you are going to die a slave until I set you free. Got that? So this is step one. Understanding. You were enslaved and I set you free. Same thing with you and God. In order for you, we're going to talk about you obeying God in just a little bit. But in order for you to take that step in understanding how you're going to obey God, step one is this. Understanding this truth, this powerful reality that you were a slave to sin. And you would, have, you would be still a slave to sin if Jesus Christ had not set you free. Why do you obey God? Because he's the one that sets you free. You'd still be dead in your sin if it wasn't for him. You'd still be on your way to hell if it wasn't for him. You'd still be a slave to all of that ridiculous garbage if it wasn't for him. Why would you obey God? Because he's the one that set you free. The second, they were a people who belonged to God. Not only did he set them free from sin, he brought them to himself. Verse 4, I brought you to myself. Verse 5, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. God didn't just set them free from slavery. He set them free from slavery and brought them to himself as a special treasured possession. Same for you. You were set free from your sin and then you were placed literally in Christ as God's precious treasured possession. Why would you obey God? Because not only set you free from sin, he brought you to himself. He made you his child. He put you in Christ. He placed his Holy Spirit inside of you. He united himself with you in a powerful and real way. Why would you obey God? Because he did the miraculous. He set you free and placed you literally in him. And then last, there were also a people with a mission Verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So he calls them a holy nation. In other words, a, a people that are set apart and different. We're holy. We're separate. We're not like everyone else around us. And a kingdom of priests. So what does a priest do? A priest talks to God for the people and then talks to the people for God. A priest is kind of an intermediary, right? I go to God on behalf of the people. I go to the people on behalf of God. And he says that you're a kingdom of priests. In other words, Israel's job was to go to God on behalf of the nations around them and then go to the nations on behalf of God. They were to show, here's what it looks like when God sets you free. Here's how you can live when you devote yourself to the Jehovah God of the Bible. Here's how your life can be different when you follow and worship the true God and not all the fake gods you guys have been following after. So as you see Israel, before God sets up a single rule, he's laying out for them a clear understanding of who you are in him. Israel, you were slaves and I set you free. And I didn't just set you free, I brought you to myself as my treasured possession so that everyone around can see here's what it means to have God be your dad. Here's what it means to worship and serve the true living God. What I want us to see for both Israel here and then for us before he gets to a single thou shalt not 
he clearly identifies them and sets out their identity. You're mine. I set you free. I made you my special possession so that all the world can see how glorious and amazing I am as you live and worship me. And as a result of that, hey, here's how I want you to live. Does that make sense? You see how it so. So often, the reason we struggle in the faith is we skip identity and go straight to obedience. Are you tracking with that? You set your life up as, how do I need to obey? How do I obey? How do I obey? How do I obey? How do I obey? And yes, obedience is important. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. But God, for his people Israel and for you, didn't just jump straight to obedience. He first laid out identity. Here's who you are as my treasured possession that I got out of slavery and I brought to myself so that you can be a picture to the world of how glorious and amazing I am. Now as a result of that, here's how I want you to live. You see the difference? So many of us, our understanding of God and obeying God is you better obey. You better do it. God's going to get you. Right? Lightning bolts from heaven. He's going to crush you. You better do it. And yes, we should obey. Obviously, we're called to obey. And yes, there are consequences for disobeying. But what I want you to see for these folk here in Exodus 19, Israel, and for us as well as people of God in Christ, it starts with identity, not obedience. When you see who you are in Christ, you're empowered by God to now obey him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you walk in a love relationship with Christ, you will now be empowered to obey Christ. It's not just about doing what he said. It's about knowing who you are in him. And even as you go to the Ten Commandments, so if you go from Exodus 19 to Exodus 20, this is where God lays out the Ten Commandments, and we know these, right? One you shall have no other gods before me. Two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Three, you shall not take the Lord's name of your God in vain. Four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Five, honor your father and your mother. Six, you shall not murder. Seven, you shall not commit adultery. Eight, you shall not steal. Nine, you shall not bear false witness. Ten, you shall not covet. But I want to show you something here in in this, I'm not going to necessarily preach through the Ten Commandments, but I want to show you something that maybe you've not seen before. Even in the way God gives the Ten Commandments, He's teaching you something. It's about you and Him. As you look at these Ten Commandments, um, oftentimes theologically they've considered they've called them the two tables, the two tablets of, of the Ten Commandments. Right? Tablet one has four, it's not five and five, four and six. So as you look at the Ten Commandments, the way it's set up, the way God gives the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with you and God. The last six deal with you and other people. And the idea is, if you get your relationship with God right, you're going to be able to get your relationship with other people right. This is why when you come in for marital counseling, I don't tell you how to communicate better. You need to learn how to communicate with God, and then you can communicate with your spouse. Right? You, you grow there, and you're going to be greatly empowered to grow here. And so even as you look at the Ten Commandments, what you see is foundational here. 
If you have no other gods but Jehovah God, and you don't make anything in a graven image, and you don't take his name in vain, and you assign one day just to worship and rest in him, then on the basis of that and that relationship you now have with him, you're going to be empowered to not kill and not steal and not covet and not commit adultery. It starts first with you and God and your identity with him and your love in him and your desire to walk in him. And as a result of that, you're now empowered to do the other things. Again, even the law that we're given here in the Old Testament, this dreaded, horrible law that we're so glad as Christians we're set free from, even in the law, the Bible tells us it's not just about obeying, it is about seeing and savoring the glory of God. And as a result of that, you want to walk in obedience. Which is why David said, I would lay awake at night dreaming about the law. What kind of psycho does that? Maybe because David understood something that we often forget. He wasn't sitting around going, oh, I love being told the things I can't do. Yay. No. He's lying awake at night thinking about the glory and power and presence of God. As he thinks about how God is so great and amazing and powerful and awesome, he is driven to dream about how he just wants to live his life glorifying him. That's how he can say he wakes at, at least stays awake at night just thinking about how great the law is. Because it's not just about you doing something or not doing that. It's about you seeing how glorious and amazing God is. And when you see how glorious and amazing God is, you'll do anything he tells you to do. You'll not do anything that he tells you not to do. Not so much because the thing is bad, but because God is so good. He's so amazing. He's so glorious. He's so awesome. I just want to live for him. That's why David would say, I just lie awake at night thinking about him. He's so good. When you see how glorious and amazing and beautiful God is, you're driven to him. So real quick, let me ask you this. Let me just, a few quick things. So with this law, again, as we think about the story of God, we think about the story of the Bible, the law plays a massive role in this. God giving the law here on Mount Sinai with Moses, creating this covenant with Moses, and it is different, right? So with Abraham, if you remember that in Genesis chapter 15, the covenant was one way. It was unilateral. God was saying, look, whether you obey or don't obey Abraham, I'm going to do this. The covenant with Moses is different. The covenant with Moses that we see in uh, the book of Exodus is, look, I'm telling you what to do. I will do these things if you do this, right? If you do this, I will bless in this way. If you disobey, I will curse in this way, right? That's a little more connected in that. And so that's a big way of how the rest of the Old Testament is playing out. The people of God given these laws and them failing miserably and God having to deal with their sin. But why did God give the law? What's the point of all this? I'll give you just three quick things. Just if you can jot them down. We'll have them both on the screen. Just for your own personal edification. As you think about studying the Bible. Why did God give the law in the first place? What's the point of all of this? I'll give you just three quick things. One. God gave the law. To show his character. The law shows the character of God. 
ultimately everything God says, everything he reveals, everything he commands, everything he demands of us gives him glory and honor. So everything we do in life is to reflect that. So everything that he's told us to do is ultimately about reflecting the glory and honor and character and authority and power of God. He gave the law because it shows how holy and pure and righteous and glorious he is. He's telling us something about himself in the law. Second, the law shows what God expects. Again, like I said earlier, God is the one who gets to determine what your relationship with him will and will not look like. You don't make that call. He does. He tells you what you will do. He tells you what you will not do. He tells you how you will enter into a relationship with him. You don't get to make that rule. You don't get to determine what that looks like. He sets those terms. And this is what we see here in the law. God is setting the terms. I am God. You are not. I will tell you what you can expect from me and what I will expect from you. So often what's gotten us so messed up in our society is we've this rugged individualism has crept its way into the american church where you think you get to determine what your relationship with god looks like and your problem with that is going to be the bible god says no you don't nope no no you don't i make that call not you so what we see here with the law is god setting the stage I determine what your relationship with me is going to look like. This is God laying his expectations. Uh, And then third, the law shows our complete and total ultimate inability to obey. One of the reasons God gave the law is, is to show you, you can't obey the law. Right? Just like Adam failed Israel is going to fail, and much of the Old Testament is going to be the story playing out of Israel failing, Israel disobeying, Israel not walking in obedience to God, and God having to judge them as a result of that. The ultimate point that God is showing in the law is you can't keep the law. This is what I expect, and you can't keep my expectations. You can't do all that I'm commanding you to do. All the rules, all the laws, and all the sacrifices to be offered after you break those laws. What is he trying to do here? He's trying to show you there's another piece of the story that's coming. This isn't the end. It isn't just, I'm God, you're my people, here's some rules, obey them, see you in heaven. Right? There's got to be more to it. Because we're always going to break the rules. And there aren't enough sacrifices to cover it because the second you break a rule and you give a sacrifice for that, you know what you do the second you leave that sacrifice? Break another rule. Right? It can't ever stop. As we see the law being given, how that works in with that story of the whole Bible, and then your story with God, what he's trying to show you is this. You need someone to save you from you. God is saying, here are my expectations of what your relationship with me will look like. And let's be honest, you stink. And you can't do it. I mean, let's just do the top ten list. Ready? Ten commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. There's never been a single time in your life where you haven't loved or desired something more than God. 
Of course you have. We haven't even got to lying yet. You've already broken that one. Don't make a carved image. What does that mean? Stop trying to put God into an image that's more palatable for you. Well, yes, God said in the Bible, don't do that. But that was a long time ago. Sexual ethics have changed now. We just do things different now. No. We don't. You just broke the second commandment. You tried to make a God that looks better for you. Something a little more palatable. Well, yeah, the Bible, we're married in God's eyes. No, you're not. God's eyes are fiery red with wrath. You're not married in his eyes. You're acting like you're married in your pants. But you're not married in God's eyes. You're recreating a God that works better for you. You're breaking the second commandment as well as the seventh. But we haven't gotten there yet. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And that is more than just naughty words. That means have you ever in your life said God told you something when God didn't tell you that? You know, I just really believe God's telling me to do this or God's telling me. No, you just want to do it. And you know, if you say God told you, no one can say anything. I just really believe God's telling me to do this. Well, God just hasn't told me I need to forgive them yet. Yeah, he has. He, he got a verse. He did. You just wrote the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Again, this is more than just everybody has to work at Chick-fil-A. The idea is that you understand God is ultimately the one that takes care of you, not you. So you don't have to burn the candle at both ends and come up with your own plans and do your own agenda and do your own thing. You trust God. And so I take the time aside and I just let God pour into me because ultimately he's the one that's in control of my life. And if God wants my socioeconomic status to be here rather than here, I'll trust him. Honor your father and your mother. Um, as you switch from the first tablet, the four, to the second tablet, theologians have very rightly observed that this is the very first commandment given by God towards other people. Here's why. If you don't honor your parents, if you don't honor the first authority that's been given to you, you will not honor the ultimate authority that's been placed over you. And I know every parent here is like, Amen! There's a reason why. That's the first commandment given for people to people. Look, if, if that doesn't get right, there's a whole lot that's going to go south. You shall not murder. Jesus is going to say later in the Gospels that um, that also includes anger in your heart towards someone. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus is going to say in the Gospels again that also includes lustful thoughts towards someone. And I know that works differently for men and for women, but it's the same for both of us. Whether it's man looking at a woman lustfully or a woman wishing your husband was more like that other guy. It's the same thing. It, it's breaking the seventh commandment. You've committed adultery in your heart. You shall not steal. You've never in your life taken anything that doesn't belong to you. you. Shall not bear false witness. You've never said something that wasn't actually correct. Do not covet. The apostle Paul is going to say, that was the one that got me. That one, that one was tough. You've never in your life looked at someone else's life and went, man, wish I had that life. I'd do it so much better. 
If you tell a lie, what are you? You're a liar. I don't, I'm not a liar. I just tell a lie. Nope, you're a liar. The point is, you and I can not do this on our own, which is why we desperately need a Savior. Galatians chapter 3. I just will have it up on the screen. You can follow along if you like. Galatians 3 verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. What he's saying here is this. Look, we have the law, and we see our complete inability to keep the law. So does that mean the law is bad? Does that mean the law is not of God? Does that mean the law is contrary to what God wants? No. No, the law is good because the law shows us the law can't save us. Right? If there was a law that you could perfectly obey and be great with God, then you wouldn't need the cross. But you do. Verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So for some of you here today, listen to verse 22. Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Some of you here today, you feel like you're still a prisoner to sin. You can't get out of it. Come on, there's somebody in this room right now, you feel like you are your own worst enemy and you just can't get out of your own way. You think you get it straight and then boom, you mess up again. The Bible talks to you. The Bible is saying, I know. The scriptures, the law was set up so that you see, I just keep sinning, and I just keep sinning, and I just keep sinning. And even when I do something good, I get all prideful about the fact that I did a good thing, and I just keep sinning some more. That's the point. You are trapped in sin. But then there are others of you that are like, oh, no, 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 I can get out. Verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Some of you, you're trapped under the law. You're trying to be good. You're like, okay, yes, I see sin, but I think I can get out. I think I can claw my way out. I think I can do this. Some of you are in this room today as an attempt to do a good deed to claw your way out of sin. The Bible says you can't do that. You're just a prisoner to the law. You can't ever get set free from it. You'll never be good enough. There'll never be enough church services. There'll never be enough Bible studies. There'll never be. You can't get out like that. 24. So then the law was a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. What he's trying to help us see is this powerful, unbelievable, life-changing truth. That you are either stuck in sin, or you're stuck in the law trying to get your way out of sin. And you're, and you, you can't be good enough. Because every time you don't break that law, you do break this one. 
And there can't be enough sacrifices because the second you give a sacrifice, you break into the law, so you need another sacrifice. And that's why you need Jesus. You see how the story all fits together. God is calling his people out and he says, here's what a relationship with me is going to look like. I am God. I get to set the standard. I get to determine this. Here's how you have to live. And they try to do that and they failed miserably. Before Moses even came down from Mount Sinai in Exodus 32, they're downstairs worshiping a gold calf having an orgy. I didn't make that up. Read it. He didn't even come down off the mountain yet. And God's already like, well, i got to kill everybody. I mean, they don't even know the rules yet, and they've broken them. Moses, I'm going to kill them all and just start all over. Forget it. From the very beginning, they were never going to be able to obey all the rules. And you can't either. Which is why you need a Savior. You need Jesus. Jesus obeyed all the rules because he knew that you couldn't. And then Jesus went to the cross and died as if he disobeyed. So that he can take that punishment for you and give you grace. Jesus Christ lived the life you could never live in perfect obedience. And then he died the death you and I deserve to die as rebels against God. And he did all of that so that he could be the perfect sacrifice, taking away your sin completely and making you right with God. This is how it fits into the great overarching story of the Bible. This amazing story that you and I are still living in. God says, here's how you meet in that story today. You must see that Jesus Christ is your sacrifice. He is the one who obeyed on your behalf. He is the one who was sacrificed for your sin. And he is the one that you must turn to by faith. So now what? I'm going to ask our band to come up. And I'm going to ask a couple of questions just for you to kind of ponder and think through. One is this. Are you here today? Just be honest. You feel like you are completely and totally imprisoned to sin. You feel like you're just stuck in it. You can't get out. You can't get free. You want to. You're not ignorant to this. You see a train wreck and everything. You know if people found out what was really going on, everything would explode. You know that, and you are terrified of that. But you just still feel imprisoned. Jesus Christ came and set you free. Truly, legitimately free. Today. Turn to faith in Christ and say, Jesus Christ, I need you to set me free. I can't do this. I need you to make me new. I can't make myself new. I confess my sin. I repent of my sin. I'll I'll talk to whoever I need to talk to. I'll do whatever I need to do. I need you, Jesus, to do this in me. Set me free. Are you a prisoner of sin? Today, Jesus Christ desires to set you free. Are you a captive under the law? Are you trying your best to be a good legalist? 
you're trying your best to look the part and be the part and do all the right things. But, but again, can you and I just be honest for a second? Isn't that absolutely exhausting? During the worship set here this morning, sitting right there, standing there, and um, I was immediately overwhelmed with feelings of inadequacy. I mean, it was like someone just drove a Mack truck through the room and hit me. I felt inadequate. I felt weak. I felt literally in my mind, I thought, why in the world am I about to stand up and talk? I, I need to just sit here and be quiet. I, I, I have nothing. I felt at that, it's all happening in about four seconds. And I, am, I feel overwhelmed with my absolute inability to walk out faithfully in Christ. It just hit me out of nowhere. sitting there I stopped singing I just just opened up my hands like this and, and at that moment I had two options option A I can gut it out right nope 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 I'm going to do this thing I can do this thing I've got it right I'm a good speaker and I've got my notes and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to get it done and trust that God doesn't make me look stupid could have fought through with good old-fashioned hard work and legalism but i didn't you know what i did i just stopped singing and i opened up my hands like this and i said god i thank you right now at this moment the most important thing about me is that i'm just your servant and even though i might be inadequate i know jesus is most definitely not even though I may feel weak, I know Jesus is strong. And so, God, I'm asking you that you would just empower me right now at this moment. Holy Spirit, I know that you live inside of me. I know that you have written your word on my heart. I know, Jesus, that I am in you and you are in me. I know, God, that I am your son and no one and nothing could ever change that. And so right now, I just trust you as your son. I fall on you. I need you. God, help. I'm immediately filled with peace, encouragement to stand up and by God's grace shoot. But what I want you to see is the answer wasn't put your head down and keep moving forward. The answer was lift your eyes up and say, Jesus Christ, I need you. Some of you here today, you're still in prison to the law because you're still trying to just put your head down and muscle through it, and it isn't going to work. Jesus Christ has set you free. You can live in that freedom. And then last, are you living holy through new life in Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit? What I mean by that is this. So here's what happens. Here's what happens at Southview. Many people come here from various 
church backgrounds and experiences, a lot of that very steeped in legalism. So you come here, and usually within the first month of attending, I get an email from you, and it's usually one of two questions. Number one, either the email is, so I thought it was saved until I came here, and now I'm not sure. Because you're talking about this thing differently than I've ever heard anybody talk about it. I don't know that I'm a Christian. If that's you, I'd love to talk with you. Or email number two that I get often is, oh, this is great. I'm free from legalism. I'm free from the law. I'm just loved by God in Christ. This is awesome. I love those emails. But oftentimes what happens after that is this. You get a taste of grace and, and how awesome that is. So then you just start thinking that that means in Christ you can just do whatever you want to do. And again, like I often say, the problem with that is going to still be the Bible. So my question for you is this. So yes, you've been set free from the law, yes. But you're not set free from the law. And been set free from the law, it doesn't mean you're set free from obedience. It means you're finally set free to obedience. You're finally set free to be able to love God and serve God and follow God because you see what he set you free from and you see that he brought you to himself and you see that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you see that you've been filled with the Spirit of God and that he has placed his law inside of your heart and now you just love him so you want to live for him. My desire for many of us here in this room is this. You, by God's grace, would, would, would allow the Holy Spirit to open up the eyes of your heart to what it means to now live a holy, righteous, pure life. Not because you're afraid God's going to hurt you if you don't, but because you know how great God is, you can't help but live a life for Him. And we want to help you do this. I, I've been for several weeks now, and we'll, I'll talk about it here in just a second again, but for several weeks now I've been telling you about a, a class that we're going to be doing here taught by Earl Smith called How to Experience New Life in Christ. And literally the idea behind that whole uh, class is this. Okay, you're free in Christ. That's awesome. But let's be honest. There are things in your life that you know aren't right. And there are things in your life you know you want to walk in obedience in. How do you do that? How do I live a life of obedience? How do I live in holiness? How do I live free from sin? How do I do that? We don't just offer these classes randomly. There's a purpose and a point behind them. They're to equip you. That's why we call them equip classes. We want to equip you to actually live out this faith. You can do that can live new life in Christ, set free from the law, but then now set free to God to live and glorify and honor Him. So I want to ask you to bow your heads for a minute. Um, and I want to take just a minute to pray for us. So this morning, Where are you in the story of God? Have you been set free from sin? 
Have you been set free from the power of the law? Have you been set free to new life in Christ? Have you seen how God has done this through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? If not, today, trust by faith in Christ. Say, Jesus Christ, I see that you died, and you were buried, and you rose again for my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Right now, right where you are, call out to him. For those of you that have been set free, you've been set free from sin, you've been set free from the law, you've been placed in Christ, you know you are united with God, you know that you are the treasured possession of God, you're the child of God, you know that's true. Are you walking in a life of holiness, glorifying and honoring God? If the answer to the question is no, or kind of, or sort of, or like all of us, there are areas that we need to grow in. I encourage you, take just a minute this morning and say, God, God, I see how glorious and beautiful and amazing you are. I love you. Thank you for saving me, for delivering me, for making me new. Lord God, I repent of this sin. I turn to you. I desire to walk in holiness. Take just a minute. Sit before the Lord. Speak to Him. Let His Word speak to you. God, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for this great story of you creating a people for yourself and then creating the opportunity for us to even just know you and be your children. I pray, God, that you would show us where we fit in with this story. I pray, God, that you would show us what it means to live out lives that bring glory and honor to you. Pray, God, that we would see you get to set the terms of what our relationship with you looks like. We don't get to do that. But, God, we respond to you because you're so great and so amazing and so glorious. And you set us free from sin. And you brought us to yourself. And you made us your sons and daughters. And so we want to worship you. We want to live lives that glory and honor you. God, do this in us. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, real quick, before you leave here, uh, I just want to say again, thank you for being here, especially if you're a guest with us. Thank you. Uh, we're so glad that you're here today. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that two ways. One, texting the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298. Uh, and then second, my wife and I uh, will be up front. We'd love for you to come up and say hi. We'd love to meet with you and just put a name with the face. But thank you so much for worshiping with us today. 
Uh, for everyone, we've got our three big announcements of what's going on. First, Vacation Bible School starts tomorrow. So very excited about that. If you have not registered your kids yet, you can still do that by texting VBS to our number, 910-424-1298. Second, the equipped classes. Like I mentioned, uh, two big ones I want you to focus on. Gentle and lowly. That's going to be taught by Pastor Steve. Um, that's going to really speak to the idea of, of what moves the heart of God, especially in times of difficulty in life. And then the second one that I mentioned with Earl Smith, one of our great leaders, going to be leading this class. How to experience new life in Christ. You've been set free from sin, but how do you actually live that out? This class is going to help you do that. Just text the word EQUIP to our number. Uh, and then you can click whichever class you'd like to be a part of and submit that. But I cannot encourage this more highly for you. Please, please, please do this. And then lastly, mission trip to Kentucky that's going to be happening in July. And we like to gather some uh, items for babies uh, in that. And so we've been collecting some shoes and now we like to collect some baby items. So same thing, we're going to have boxes set up so you can bring those in, um, whether it be diapers or, I was going to say formula, but if you have that, you can just sell that on eBay for $1,000. But um, whatever baby items you may have um, that uh, we can use, we're going to put together some diaper bags for some young moms up in Kentucky. And so if you can